Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Cubs Related Podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined as always by Brendan. And we are coming to you on Monday, December 13th. And Brendan, we are still in a lockout. I know. It's. I feel like the last week has lasted a month. I'm not sure how much more I can do with this, Corey. Like, I not think it's going to be a while. I mean, we have, what, three more months of this? We don't right? even know. I mean, I don't know what to do with my life, Corey. Like, what do I do? Succession's over. Like, everything's over. I don't know what to do. You got to watch basketball, I guess, football. I don't know. We do have some stuff to talk about. We hear more, you know, a little bit from Jed Hoyer and some of the, the goings-on as he's talking about some of the moves that the Cubs have made. Uh, the Cubs, as we talked about, you know, making some finalizing moves to their coaching staff. We've already talked about uh, the addition of some of the new guys to the hitting portion of the coaching staff, but they did get some of that finalized this week. We've got uh, fan graphs releasing the Cubs' top 49 prospects list, so we might touch on that at some point. And just talking about what the Cubs can do uh, as we sit here in this lockout, which obviously involves some of the coaching moves, front office moves, and things like that. But Brendan, I I think where we ought to start is uh, looking at the Q&A that they did over on The Athletic with Sahadev Sharma and Patrick Mooney. Uh, They were talking about the Javi Baez contract to Detroit and just whether the Cubs were in on that at all. We've obviously heard, especially after they signed Marcus Stroman, that you know they'd like to beef up that infield defense. Shortstop is a position of need. There's obviously a very strong group, not so much anymore with Javi and, and Corey Seager off the board, but they're was and and still is a very strong group of shortstops in this mix. And Sahadev pointed out that the Cubs were not really seriously involved with Javi Baez, who ended up getting a six-year, $140 million contract with the Detroit Tigers. So that's that's interesting, Brendan. It is. I mean, it is. It's, it's interesting that the Cubs were not seriously involved on that. You never know like how quickly a team like Detroit moved and, and things like that. But uh, I know a lot of people were wondering if there might be the potential for a reunion with any of the three members of the core that were traded at the, at the deadline. And at least with regard to the one that signed so far of the three, it doesn't seem like the Cubs were particularly interested. 
Yeah, I thought they would at least entertain the idea. The fact that they're not even that they were not even seriously interested is surprising. I guess when you consider the context of what we've heard from Jed within the last month or so and the deals they have made, it, it definitely appears as if they're willing to spend money, but they don't want to go beyond like three years, uh, four years, which is why Strowman was a, was a good fit. So it's a change of direction, I feel like, because we did hear a, a year ago, maybe sooner, that the Cubs were negotiating with Javi for like a six-year deal, like not in a different number universe right. too. I think it was what 160, 170 mil for six years. And they didn't they did not go back to that. So the the thinking has changed in that front office. And I don't know why. Is it because they changed their roster so much, or is it because the performance by Javi changed how they perceive him, how they project him? I'm not sure. The key for the Cubs front office is years, not money. Yeah. Right? And we don't know what Jed's budget limit is. Are they going to get close to last year's payroll? Are they going to get close to the luxury tax? Are they going to go over the luxury tax, right? Like, we, we don't really know. We don't have a definitive word on that. We've just sort of heard the, the, the sort of company line that they've got money and they intend to spend it, which we saw at least a part of with the Marcus Stroman deal. And, and, and of course, them kind of bumping up that uh, yearly value to get Marcus Stroman on the shorter deal that they wanted. But the key is years. So when you look at someone like Javi, I, I wonder if they got the sense early on that, you know, because Javi, I think recently, like maybe two weeks ago, turned 29, maybe they got the sense early that there were long-term offers out there from teams like the Detroit Tigers, who he ultimately ends up signing with. And they were not going to play in that market. And Javi's 29, and and maybe he's looking for stability over prioritizing, you know, that that kind of immediate extra money, right? If if all the deals were even somewhat close to each other in terms of millions of dollars, he wanted the security. He 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 doesn't want to hit free agency again soon, and he wants to be able to settle down a little bit. You know, he's got two young kids, right? And settle down in Detroit or at least know that he's going to Detroit every year to play baseball for, yeah. you know, six, seven months, right? I, I understand Javi's perspective. You want you want stability. So six years, 140 is exactly that. From the Cubs perspective, when we look at Javi's defense, independent from his offense, he's one of the best defensive shortstops in the league. So for a 23 million annual average value, despite six years, I I. I mean, the Cubs were considering that a, a year ago with a different roster, granted. But there's part of me that wonders how we saw the John Gray scenario work out with Stroman. If the Cubs do want to massively improve at shortstop and they're more willing or in a different position and they're more willing to do so via trade of some of their top prospects or going out and giving more money to a shorter term deal like Trevor Story or in a long term or a long shot possibility at going after Correa, like like seriously going after Correa. The fact that they were not considering Javi in that ballpark, that's that's what I'm very interested about. It's not the fact that they did not resign Javi, but they were not considering him for that type of length. So I don't know, like for six years, 23 mil per year, short defense, we know the power, but we know all the risk. Like I think 
if it were my decision, I love Javi, but six years is a long time for me as well. But again, to not be seriously considering that kind of signals maybe that they're considering other options that are still expensive, but within their timeline, so to speak. Right. Yeah. I, I do you think it's I, I do also wonder, like, when you look back at them having those discussions pre COVID and then them breaking down, obviously, and them kind of wanting to see what happened. It, it was it was not Javi's best half season before he ends up traded to the Mets at the deadline last July, even though he he did end up getting hot in New York and, and putting together uh, much better numbers there. Like, I wonder if like Jed just wanted to move on also. Like I mean, he did. So the answer is yeah, he moved yeah, on. Yeah, right? like and 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 maybe he just has a different vision now. Like we'll see, you know, how they ultimately decide to address shortstop and then you can kind of like go back and and review it all. But you, you did kind of have the sense like at the deadline that Jed, you know, having taken over from Theo kind of wanted to like carve out his own block of of this Cubs like structure and maybe those guys just didn't fit into that picture in the way that some of us maybe assumed or uh it kind of seemed at times you know that we wanted because I I just think it's interesting that they didn't revisit those talks and and maybe it's because right, of that's the years the, the uncertainty but like if if you know that shortstop is going to be a position of need, you know how popular Javi is. You've had he's been in the organization for so long. Like if you don't even revisit that, like I think you have to consider that your, you know, the interest maybe just wasn't there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think. Well, how do yeah, you, so? How do you feel about that? Well, I I feel that's more likely than the alternative, and the alternative being they want someone else. And so, of course, my mind's going to go to the. To, to think, okay, maybe they are seriously in on Korea after this lockout ends, and they want to preserve that possibility. At the same time, I understand that's a long shot. So then I go to thinking, okay, who else is out there? Well, Trevor Story is the other expensive option. Maybe Trevor Story is more willing to take that Stroman-type structure for a contract. And if that's the case, it aligns well with what Jed is doing. And then it goes to your explanation with maybe Jed is just over it. And maybe he's right because Javi's peripherals in terms of whiff rate, strikeout rate, chase rate, walk rate, there are basically no players in major league history that age well with that type of profile. I mean, I remember back in uh, late April when Fangrass wrote that piece about Javi saying he might be broken and there's no one else. There's quite literally no one else in history that have that has aged well doing what Javi's doing. And he may be the outlier. That might be the case. But I do think since they were talking about those pre-COVID negotiations, he has added more data. And I think that data has been mostly bad, despite having a successful second half with New York. I, I mean, even his expected weight on base average overall for 2021 was 324. It, it was slightly below league average. So how is that going to look four years from now from Jed's perspective? I, I think the likelihood is things do change, but it's probably bad. So I understand where Jed's coming from. And to your point, Corey, I think I think that is the likely 
explanation that this front office, Jed, they they just were not comfortable giving money long term, no matter what it is, to Javi. Or they would have considered a six year deal for a cheaper option, but that was never even on the table this offseason, it appears like. Right. Yeah. So I think that we can kind of look at that and tie it in a little to thinking about someone like Chris Bryant. And I would assume that this follows the same train of thought. I know there was some rumors maybe last week or something that, you know, people close to Bryant said, maybe don't rule it out like he'd consider it or or something like that. It wasn't a a particularly large rumor, but I know it was circulating out out there. And it kind of seems like you would end up reaching the same conclusion here unless the front office feels really strongly about it. Like Chris is 29. He's going to turn 30 at the beginning of January, on January 4th, he'll be 30 years old. And I would assume he's looking for years and I would assume he can get it, right? Like there's some teams out there. I know like a team like Seattle has been kind of a, a popular prediction destination for someone like Brian because they're ready, you know, they they got close to making the playoffs last year, ready to compete. Maybe he kind of helps push them over the edge there. And I would assume like Javi is similar exactly to the Tigers, right? That there's going to be teams out there that are going to offer him that stability, right? And I, I, I would think that that is what KB wants. It's hard to envision KB taking a just again looking at the Stroman deal as as kind of a template for this right where you're giving them the flexibility to hit the market again in a few years you're giving them options all that other stuff I don't I, I would be surprised if that's what KB is interested in right like I don't think he wants to hit the market again when he's no. 33 years old I think there's too much risk in that and again you know another guy that just started a family like I think he's going to want to be settled down and know where he's playing for the next half decade, if not, you know, a considerable amount longer. But do you think that the the big difference between KB and Javi is that KB, of course, makes more contact. He plays multiple positions. I still feel as if there's a, a year amount and a money amount that might make sense for Jed. I I know you you always talk down on me for thinking about this, but I don't think that's a crazy possibility where the market kind of falters a little bit, and because of the projections, maybe there is a comfort level giving KB years and some money. Maybe it's not going to be that two hundred million, that one even one seventy five that we kind of have been thinking all along. I don't know. Yeah, I look, I mean I I just rag on you for it because I'm not I'm trying not to let myself get hurt again by this. I've just So you're you're sort just of, like talking down on me to make yourself feel better is that what you're doing? I mean it's kind well, of Well, I just I've tried to move on from the trade deadline and and just sort of dealing with them not being Cubs anymore. I mean, I think and, you've done a pretty good job of that. You you never talk about them. Yeah, right. And then you yeah. ruin my life by bringing it up. I do. And then I well, lay awake I at night thinking about Chris Bryant. 
well, I have to, it's like someone has to be as miserable as me when I talk about this. I guess so, that's like, fair. You're, the, you're right. the main target. We are in a lockout. There's nothing else to do. So I might as well be miserable about Chris Bryant. I'll, I'll be sending you YouTube uh, yeah. videos of Chris Bryant tonight. <laughs> but yeah, look, I mean, again, you know, like a lot of things, it's not apples to apples. Chris Bryant and Javi Baez are very different players. I think in particular, one of the things about KB that he's shown over the last few years, especially, is that versatility, which when you look at the Cubs roster and what they need maybe is is something they're more interested in maybe they're uh you know more willing to be flexible on some of the terms to bring him home that they wouldn't for Baez or or just other guys in general um I just I just think again like I think you're going to you're going to be battling with teams that are willing to meet KB wherever he wants to be, right? I think the Cubs are going to be trying to get a little more creative, see what they can get away with in terms of the years and flexibility and stuff like that. And I think, again, a team like Seattle, a team like Toronto just might meet KB more in the middle of what he wants, which is longer term and more money. So I, 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 you know, then it maybe becomes a question of how much or if KB wants to come back to Chicago. I don't know. But mm. the the thing that is apparent with the Stroman deal and then just reading through some of that stuff with uh, over on The Athletic and, and, this, and the quotes from Jed Hoyer, it's about years, right? And we've heard this from them, but we're really seeing it come into action with the moves like Wade Miley with Marcus Stroman and some of the other stuff that the Cubs have done. And I would assume we see it once the lockout is over and the Cubs are able to make moves again, that's going to be the priority. What can we do that keeps us in that one to three-ish year window probably because you don't, you have a vision for where this organization hopes to be in a few years with these prospects and, and all of the fruits of those trades that you've made over the last year plus, and they don't want things bogging that down. Now, mm. like other times, if in a few years they're not spending a bunch of money on free agents and loading up that team and giving Brennan Davis the surrounding cast that he deserves, then that's a problem. But the plan, at least, is is very clear that that is the intention, that in a few years you're going to be bringing up a lot more and graduating a lot more major league talent, and you need to have the flexibility to support that team more than you do right now. Yeah, I feel like the flexibility with the current roster as it is, it's flexible in that the the high end of the projections include like a dozen players. When you look at the outfield, we talked about it last week, we have nine candidates in the outfield right now. And then you look at some of the up-and-coming younger prospects in the next two years in the infield, like Ed Howard and, and all those guys, like you, you can see and you can't bet they're gonna they're gonna you know be valuable contributors you can't do that but the possibility that you're going to be graduating guys and having this type of crunch that has to have an effect on what you're willing to give an older player like like what chris bryant is going to be and what um javi bias is is going to be it's i can see where the thinking comes at the same time i if those are the current guys available, I I don't know where else the money's going to go. So that's where, for me, it's kind of hard to understand because if you're not going to sign 
Korea, which again, for like 350, 400 million is likely the asking price. I can see why they would not do that. Then do you go out and try to get Trevor Story? And if he does not give you a three year deal, four year deal, then who else is out there? Okay, well, like you have Nick Ahmed, two years, eight million. You have Haesung Kim from San Diego, who's 26. He's due 21 million over the next three years. Like those are possibilities. But even then, you know, you still have a lot of money to spend. So you, are you going to sit on it? Are you going to spend on pitching? Are they done with pitching? They already signed multiple starters. Like I'm trying to figure out does the money spill over to multiple years? They have to spend the money somehow because they still have room. If you're not going to be willing to get some of these years beyond three-year contracts, I it's hard to see where the money goes. Yeah, well, and, and so that's the thing with shortstop is that you have that need, and we've talked about this before in terms of can you afford to sit out, right? Because the, the, the class next year is not going to be the one to address that need probably. So maybe you can look to do it in trades but there 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 is of course like you're saying you, you need to kind of have a little bit of foresight right even if it's it's not even if you're addressing a need now it doesn't have to only be about the immediate future like guys are available when they're available we've said this before so that's going to be something that they're going to have to look at so when you're looking at at Korea though again kind of trying to tie all of this together I think that there is a lot more potential for Correa to be interested in what the Cubs are looking for. Now, granted, we've talked about before, if they gave him same amount of years, six years, let's say, as Javi, it would be more money. But you expect with the way he plays and his defense and everything, Correa is going to be good for probably that entire contract. He's right? more just, likely to be good. Right? Yes, you never know. Right. But yeah. And so you're not looking at that as conflicting with your plan here because you'd expect him to be very good right in the immediate. And when Brendan Davis is up, let's say 2023, 2024, Carlos Correa should still be very good, right? Like he's going to be very good. So that contract is fine. So they could do that. But if if they don't want to do that, no matter what it is, they're just trying to keep it short term to keep their options open, perhaps, right, he would be a little more open to that because he turned 27 in September. So he'll be 28 around when next season is ending, Mm -hmm. assuming the lockout ends and there is a next season. Uh, that's dark. That's very dark. I I don't know, man. You read this stuff; it's easy to get pessimistic. There's but no anyway, way, like, Corey. There's no way. You have so much more faith in like billionaires and Rob Manfred than I do. I guess we'll I see. Do. We'll see. Okay. Okay. Um, I think at least it seems more possible that he would be amenable to a deal that includes opt outs or or things like that. Because if you gave him a three or four year deal, he'd be thirty. 31 like that's fine right Uh, unless something catastrophic goes wrong which is the case for anybody right like you can always play that game but for all intents and purposes he should still be a very very valuable player when he is 30 or 31 years old and whatever contract that would bring him if he hit the market again would surely be enticing to him especially if the Cubs were willing to bump up that 
yearly value for, yeah, for sure. the two or three years that he was here. But I, I think that his age maybe at least would make him more open to that. That's speculative on my part, right? I, I don't know Carlos Correa. But you oh. look at KB and Javi and how old they are and just how their careers have gone, it makes sense that they would maybe prioritize that immediate stability more than you might expect for Correa. Yeah, I would be very surprised if Correa does not sign a 10-year contract. Like, maybe six years with those opt-outs, but I, when push comes to shove, we have no reason to believe that players of Correa's stature take those shorter-term deals. I mean, Bryce Harper took a long-term deal to get more money. Uh, Mike Trout signed a $400 million deal for Francisco Lindor. Teams target these types of generational players and they lock them up for the rest of their careers and that's that so even if Correa gets like 33 million per year but it's over like 12 years I feel as if he's going to take that instead of a six-year deal for like 250 with opt-outs it's hard to turn down almost half a billion dollars so if the Cubs want to play in that market I don't know if the short-term stop is going to work but he could be the 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 one who sets the precedent where guys like him do do that. I just I feel as if they if they want to get him, say goodbye to half a billion dollars because that's likely going to be the asking price. Uh, fine by me. I mean that's fine. Yeah, like I don't care. Give him a billion dollars. Yeah, but uh, you know even in some of these chats, you know Jed continues to sort of talk about infield defense and stuff like that and and what the Cubs are going to be prioritizing. And uh, you pointed this out, uh, an interesting kind of quote from Jed recently, um, and and some of the thoughts from Sahadev. Uh, The quote was from Jed, I would not rule out continuing to look for innings, but that said, I think we'll turn our attention elsewhere on the roster more. And Sahadev goes on to kind of expand that uh, it it's not necessarily, uh, in general, the starting staff is not necessarily the number one priority anymore after the Stroman deal. So I have I have two thoughts on that. Right, the reason I bring that up when I did is because I guess you would hope that it implies the priority has shifted to the offense because there's obviously some holes there that you need to deal with, some decisions you have to make about whether you're committing to certain guys at certain positions and, and, and things like that. But then the the second point is also, I, I don't know that that's necessarily what we all expected, right? They still have not added any power arms to the rotation, which Jed said was something that they needed to do. So squaring all of this is a little tricky, Brendan. But first, mm. like when we're looking at where the priorities may have shifted, you would think that shortstop is one of those places. Yeah, I, I I would think so. We you know we've listed off names with Story and, and Kim and Ahmed. You would think that's the case. I'm surprised that Jed would be that transparent about saying we're not going to be looking for starting pitching. Not to say that the door is closed, but it's not a priority. We we heard him say he's going to get a few arms during the season. Any presser he did get Wade Miley. We got Strowman, of course. You see the rotation kind of coming to form, but if they end up getting another starter, it does not appear as if it's going to be 
a more projectable, stable guy. It appears as if it's going to be someone who's maybe more high risk, high reward. We heard them connected to Danny Duffy, a former Royal, who you loved the Royals last week for some reason. So maybe you like Danny Duffy. But wasn't I ragging on them? You, I was being sarcastic. Yeah, you oh, were ragging yeah, on yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so we heard that as a possibility. So I was a little surprised about that. I thought we would be kind of like 50-50, just looking for bulk value, even if it's in the form of pitching or even in the form of bullpen help. But it appears as if the positional side of things is more of a more of a focus. And that's going to be fascinating to see how it plays out. We do need a shortstop. I think we do need a center fielder defensively as well. <sighs> I mean, there's ramifications if you sign a center fielder or if you sign a shortstop. If you sign if you sign a shortstop, then you know what does it have on Nico's projection? What does it have on Patrick Wisdom's utility? Does Nico play more third base here and there, and Wisdom's on the bench more? Like that's the stuff I'm thinking about, and it's almost it's like overwhelming to think about because in my head there's so many different types of scenarios that can play out. Um, and it depends on the quality of the shortstop signed. The you know if it's Nick Ahmed versus Trevor Story, then that has in my mind a huge effect on what they do with Nico. Do they consider shopping Nico? It's we've heard them talk. We've heard Jed talk about using prospects as a form to get immediate majorly talent back. Maybe maybe that happens in this offseason as well. There's just so many possibilities I could see this going. It's almost not worth talking about each individual one because the likelihood that one of those happens seems so slim amongst all the possible solutions. Yeah, I yeah, these are interesting quotes. I, I I don't really know what to make of them. The the thing that stands out to me now to your earlier point I I don't know if I feel that way about him sort of being so open about this because what do you we mean? didn't necessarily expect them to land Stroman and then all of a sudden yeah, no it but was he like, said in his season ender presser that like he's going to be signing arms did he not say that like two or three arms like he yeah like, no I I just mean him saying that it's not necessarily the priority anymore I mean maybe he's just no. saying that because he's got plans to add somebody else and he doesn't want people to know it right I, guess. I don't know I I hope that's the case like you use media to your advantage what's Right. But so what's weird to me, though, is it's always weird to me when front office executives say things that they don't have to say, and then they don't do those things, right? So... Like, oh, he, like like with that quote or the pitching quote from the postseason the, presser? The power arms quote. Yeah. And, so and missing bats, right? Like, yeah. he, Jed is the one that said this. Like, nobody made him point that out or, or demanded that of him or the rotation, like he was the one that said, we've got guys that have a similar profile, we need guys that miss bats, we need velo, we need power arms, and then you don't add those guys. Like Stroman is great, and and the rotation has, it, you know, certainly looks to be in a better place than it was last year, but like you didn't do that. So, it, so it's why just one of those, like you said this, that? man, like, you know, so now we're all going to be like, well, you didn't do that like why why did is it not important anymore like what are we supposed to all like what conclusion are we all supposed to draw from that and now of course like you can look at guys potentially that you have in-house as you know that have a little more velo and, and maybe you've got a different vision for them but that's just certainly not what he said so why would he say that 
I have no idea. I mean, is it like an impulsive thing to say where you want to make the press happy or something like that, or the fans happy? He was being targeted. Like, th- like that's what I don't... <laughs> not to go back with well, I guess Theo, it's but... Just, like, he could have just said, we need to make an overhaul to the rotation. And, like, you know, right now, like, I still think you're you're a little short on that, but he did do that, you know? Yeah, like, I know yeah, he did. I did. No, right? I'm not... Criti- Listen, I'm not criticizing the moves he made this offseason. I think so far, right. you can see the logic. So, I, I just... Uh, I'm always fascinated by how these executives deal with the media because they're smart people. They're in these very influential, powerful positions to be making these moves. Yet, and again, going back to Theo, the stuff they said seems so unnecessary. And it gets him, I think what Theo said was a little bit more problematic, but what Jed is saying with the power arms, for example, he got asked by Sahadev about that very quote, right? So why leave yourself susceptible to that level of criticism and to your point that like you, you you're not acting on it and it sounds as if you're not going to act on it now which is fine like i don't care if you don't get any power arms like i can see why you're not going to do that but just why are you saying this and if that's the case then like does something change now in the next two months that maybe your focus is back on starting pitching you know it's like how much like do we take these words for face value or just kind of the immediate context that's yeah going to change well and i you know and of course again this is why it's you know we always say it's important to kind of view this thing once it's over and and look at the the whole puzzle right not just each piece as they come in over these weeks and months if their priority has shifted because he's planning on giving you know backing up a brinks truck to carlos correa's house yeah okay (laughs) fine I'm not so concerned about the power pitching anymore, right? Like, yeah, that's fine. How how serious do you think of a scenario that is? The career I have stuff? no idea. I really don't. Like, the, you're not the, shooting it down, so I feel the, like the you kind of that the Cubs are in feels very difficult to handicap at the moment. Like the 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 stuff we hear from them, the the overall, I think, kind of like confidence that the fan base has in what comes out of Jed or ownership's mouth like it's all over the place you know so like I really Mm. just don't know I I would say that when you read even stuff from like guys like Sahadev or Patrick Mooney uh, the people who are you know feel kind of closer to this their tone feels like it has shifted at least a little bit um, from being like yeah they're not doing anything they're not going to spend any money get over it right to kind of like more closer to in line with what like Jed has said, like, yeah, they're going to spend some money. They're going to be creative about it. Maybe they can uh, get to that competitive team that they want. It's possible, like, but we'll see, right, how everything shakes out. But as far as like what I think, I have no idea. I really don't. But you're you're not saying no. Like, to it, what? To the Correa possibility. I feel as if you shoot down some stuff I say in the past, like K- the KB coming back, like stuff like that. Like you're not you saying have really no to stupid ideas sometimes are really easy to shoot down. No, I like Wow. I I just <laughs> oh, think wow. the Correa thing makes so much sense for the reasons that we've identified that it would be malpractice, honestly, on on their <laughs> on their part as a front office and an organization to not consider it right and because like even if you're only looking from a budgetary but like not even talking about the fact that you need a shortstop and those options don't get better next off season and it becomes a very confusing situation for what you're going to do with that up an extremely premium position but let's say you paid him 40 million a year right which is a lot but like 
that doesn't even push their payroll to like what it was last year. And if if that was the last move that they made this offseason, they were like, look, we signed two big fish. This is all you're getting. Either get excited or don't, right? This is what we're doing. Like, that would still fit the budget, it right? Would. And the team is at least interesting. I think fans are showing up to watch Carlos Correa and the rest of this group. Like, maybe they catch lightning in a bottle with some of those other guys. But, like, they they could do it. There's so many reasons to do it that I think it's hard to shoot down immediately, even if they could be over at Wrigley Field right now going, hey, look, our idiot fans think we're going to sign Carlos Correa. Like, you know. Well, we, you know, a good majority of us would think that regardless. For, you know what I'm fascinated about? I want to hear more about the real, like, the realism of their talks with uh Corey Seager because they were connected to him in two separate reports before he signed with Texas for I think it was what 330 million so I want to know how serious that was because if it was serious then I might let myself believe the Correa stuff might be a legit possibility but we the the, the Seager market moved extremely fast I feel like and all of a sudden he just signed with Texas so if in the next month or two months, we hear more about like the Seeger stuff or any type of hint or, you know, retrospective analysis. If they were actually in on Seeger, then I think you have no choice as a fan but to be very curious, not optimistic. You don't want to do that to yourself, but at least like considering a realistic possibility, they might be in on Korea, Corey. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not sure. And, you know, again, ultimately, like, we'll see if the CBA changes anything. We'll see if, you know, now, again, you've got a couple months to just kind of sit here and, like, rethink things. I mean, I yeah. make decisions all the time that if I had an extra two months to think about them, would I make the same decision? Probably not in a lot of cases, right? Like, so you give me I two weeks, I would make this, a different decision. Right. Uh, five minutes, you know? <laughs> Uh, I could, I make, I order things when I go to dinner all the time that as soon as the waiter walks away, I'm like, eh, yeah. I should have gotten something bring, else. Bring it back. Yeah. Right. So <laughs> when you're looking at the the whole structure of an organization and you know, you've got so many different things that can happen over the course of an off season with, with prospects and this and that, who knows? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah I think that could go either way. You know, maybe they had a big plan that they decide to dial back throughout the this this waiting period and whatever happens with the CBA maybe they had a smaller plan that they've you know felt the the urge to ratchet up you know maybe they get more people calling about the season tickets that they don't want them anymore like and they they change course I don't know taking a step back and like considering where we are in in the offseason and and what this roster currently has you see Rizzo, you see Javi, you see KB, you see what those markets are shaping up to be for them this this offseason. And then you see like what the Cubs kind of have percolating down in their system. It's like like you know, Jet it may be doing a good job here, Corey. Like he 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 may be making these right moves. And then you consider, you know, the Wade Miley acquisition for 10 mil. You consider the Strowman short term, higher AAV. That fills a void. The, the Frank Schwindel acquisition, underrated. Uh, that's already paying dividends. He's already being factored into this projection. So we, of course, would have loved for the Cubs to extend to Rizzo and, and KB and, and you know, Javi, of course, right, for the appropriate pri- prices. But even 
the numbers we were talking about, you and I two years ago with KB and two hundred fifty million and and Rizzo one twenty million, like that seems so far fetched now in in a completely different universe. And you do wonder if they have if they would have made those extensions, even at the time that it made sense. We don't know the the logic that went into it. This is a very different type of offseason where maybe you are going out and spending more money, even eating some of those long-term deals because the future does seem so unpredictable. Yeah, I think that's fair. And, you know, again, like Jed has said that a lot, that that part of it is, you know, jumping on things and, and capitalizing on things and being prepared to... Uh, be flexible with some of this stuff like you know I'm sure that when they were laying out their plans I don't think that they thought that they were going to have the option of just taking on Wade Miley for a year at 10 million dollars that presents itself you jump at the opportunity right so I I think that this is a unique spot especially because when we come out of this lockout things might happen fast right if if they figure that out just before players are supposed to report to spring training or something like that, or you get close to when you're talking about missing games or anything like that, you would think that once stuff opens up, it's going to go fast. And I don't know what that's going to look like for a lot of this stuff. Is that going to benefit teams like the Cubs who are looking to get creative and get guys on short term just because guys want to sign, they want to play somewhere, they're they're willing to, you know, kind of like Jock Peterson did, just as long as I'm getting an opportunity and, and the team is going to let me showcase myself, I just want to get this done, I want to play somewhere, or does it benefit players who are looking to cash in because the teams are desperate, they've got holes to fill and they don't know what's going to happen. So pay up or I'm going somewhere else, right? We don't, we don't know. This is kind of, it's not necessarily, uh, unprecedented exactly, I guess, but it's, it's a very unique situation that uh, we're going to have to wait and see where things shake out. So, uh, I, I, you know, maybe this will be like a, a little shorter of an episode, I guess these lockout episodes, um, might tend to be. But I, I do want to just take a look at the top prospect list that came out from Fangraphs, just because you brought it up, Brendan. And, and one of the things we always say with the trade deadline is whatever happened, it happened, and we want Jed to have won, right? Like, that's where we are. We're in the future now. Those guys are gone. And the best thing that we can hope for is that Jed is the winner of these trades, right? And I think it's interesting to look at this top prospect list. There's a lot of top prospect lists. You can have a favorite. You can not care about them at all. It's up to you. Uh, But especially as we're in the middle of a lockout, I do think it's interesting to at least take a look at these. And when you're looking at the top five, Brendan, three of these uh, gentlemen are from trades within the last you know year or so, starting with the U Darvish trade. So Brendan Davis still at the top of the list. But Kevin Alcantara coming in at number two. He came over in the Rizzo deal from the Yankees. Owen Casey coming in at number three. He came wow. over in the U Darvish deal with the Padres. James Triantos, who we've talked about a good bit, who is wildly impressive. Uh, there was some video of him taking swings the other day, like just wildly impressive. Yeah, He's going to be somebody to watch. He's going to rocket up these lists. Um, but then number five, another one from the trades, and that's Reginald Preciado. Uh, who also came over in the U Darvish deal uh, with the Padres. So 
just rather interesting. Continuing to look at the list, like Caleb Killian, who we talked about recently, his performance in the Arizona Fall League championship game was, you know, really, really something. Uh, I think it was, what, six perfect innings from Killian. Um, So he's up there. And just interesting to look at, like, this is this is what you want. It, it one, does point a little bit to, you know, kind of obviously uh, some of the lack of depth that was there in the Cubs system prior to these trades, but that's the point of making the trades. But this is what you want, right? You acquired these guys, you chose these guys from these other organizations other over other players you could have had over other deals you could have made with other teams and stuff. You want these guys to be performing at a level that is vaulting them up your top oh, yeah. prospect list. Oh, yeah. And you look at the other names on this list, and then 49 prospects. So we'll have the entire offseason to go through most of these guys, I imagine. But Braylon Marquez is number 20. Miguel Amaya is number 12. So look how far they've fallen in a year, two years. This this game is very volatile. These prospects are extremely volatile. So if we did not go out and bolster this farm system, like it could be in pretty bad shape right now. To have Kevin Alcantara, Owen Casey, James Triantos, Reggie Preciado, Caleb Killian, uh, Peter Crow Armstrong, all these guys in the top tier of the system, they they weren't with this team a year ago. These these are all new guys. And so that speaks volume to, you know, the the foresight that Hoyer has had that was unpopular. Again, it's it's a difficult conversation to have because the majority of fans uh wanted Chris Bryant extended, wanted Rizzo extended and whether or not that was the right decision it's still going to be debated right now there's still prospects in a ball so you know time will be the judge of this and you can see two different scenarios but to have kevin alcantara who came over in that rizzo deal not in the javi deal not in the kb deal but the rizzo deal be your number two prospect behind brennan davis who's likely going to graduate by sometime next summer if nothing crazy happens that is a really big deal and those future value numbers on those guys so for davis is 55 out of 80 for alcantara is 50 for casey is 50 trianto is 50 preciado 50 what those are projecting are i mean it's 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 extremely optimistic i think um so you have to be happy about it. The James Triantos at number four, Corey. I did not know the list until you read that. That's insane. I did not expect them to be that high. I thought Preciado would be a lot higher. I thought even um, you know Canario would be in the top five. So James Triantos is getting a lot of love by these uh, scouts over here. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, and again, you know, there's also that sort of looming possibility that uh, some of these guys are involved in trades and. That's how they address some of these things, and that would certainly be something that would be harder to keep on your radar. I think there was a discussion, you know, recently that the Cubs, uh, you know, over the summer did have talks with the Padres about Eric Hosmer, and that would have involved a top prospect coming back to the Cubs from the Padres uh, in exchange for eating Hosmer's contract. And, you know, there's definite possibilities like that, including that one, uh, but also some others across the league. Uh, where you just have teams that are in a different spot than the Cubs. And whether the Cubs intend on spending a ton of money or not, they do have a lot of room to absorb certain things. And a a move like that would help with the timeline that they want to be on and they view themselves on. So 
Um, that is, I think, what we have for you this week. Uh, a little bit short, but, you know, as we've always said, like, we don't like to drone on um, if it's not worth your guys' time. But uh, that's kind of the state of the lockout, you know. Um, that is really uh, what is available for the Cubs. And, you know, when, when the podcast is called Cubs Related and the Cubs sort of have ceased to exist for the moment, uh, it, it does get a little difficult. I, I do want to ask you, Brendan, like, we don't have to go, like, too deep into this, but I was reading uh, a post over at, at Bleacher Nation from uh, Brett where, you know, he mentioned the Cubs sort of finalizing parts of that coaching staff. They still want to fill a couple, I think they want to get a couple coaches on the staff to fill uh, what Mike Borzello was doing because he was occupying several roles. But one of the things that uh, Brett mentioned was giving David Ross an extension. And I know we talked about that before, um, so we don't necessarily have to do like a, a breakdown of, of David Ross here. I know I'm not sure how interesting that is in December for you guys. But how do you how do you feel about that? Like yeah, I, I know I think that. when we've talked yeah. before, we've been interested in just sort of having the stability and and not like a lame duck situation. But as we're maybe months removed from the last time you and I spoke about that, like if they did that during this off season, where would that land for you? In terms of significance, I, I, mean, I mean, yeah, significance. Your priority level for it. Like, do you care one way or the other? Uh, yeah, I mean, I care. Like, I want Ross extended, right? If they extend him, it's not going to be for a crazy price. And if it doesn't work out, you just fire him and eat the money. So it's not going to be expensive. So, of course, I want David Ross extended. Uh, how significant is it? I've When we talk about Joe Madden and we, refl- and we reflect on, you know, all the managers the Cubs have had for over the past decade, um, I do think we got a little bit... Like I do think we overvalue the manager a little bit too much. Uh, there were some extreme examples for David Ross and Joe Madden with some lineup decisions, some pitching decisions that are justified. But uh, I mean, circling back, I think you, ha- I think you kind of have to extend Ross at this point. Uh, the alternatives are not obvious. He's, I think he's done a good job. I mean, to have that team competitive after that trade deadline is is not an easy feat to accomplish. And to have Schwindel come in, perform right away, I thought the bullpen before the injuries happened, post-trade deadline was encouraging. So I think Ross did a good job. And I, I, I like his attitude. I think, like, I like Joe Madden's attitude for that current team. But I don't know, I... I like Ross's urgency. I like the the raw raw nature that he has, and the no BS nature, like straight to the point. Like, I kind of shifted towards liking that from a manager rather than having you know ostriches like in the dugout, like in all these zoo animals. Like, I think there's a time and place, and right now Ross seems to have that tone that I think players respond well to. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's that's fair enough. I, honestly, I don't have strong opinions one way or the other. I think uh, I do yeah. agree with you. I think, uh, you know, the lack of like immediately obvious options and I, I don't, again, I'm, I'm not necessarily in love with Ross as a manager, but I don't, again, like I feel kind of like neutral about it. I, I definitely don't feel strongly enough in a, in a negative way at all to uh, want him gone, especially now. It just feels like you know, his first season was a COVID shortened season with a very weird vibe, right? With all the guys dealing with their contracts and and all that other stuff. 
And then the following season, it's sort of the same deal where, you know, the team has some pretty easy to see holes and then you're dealing with trading, you know, franchise legends off at July and, and playing um, some 30-year-old rookies for the rest of the season. That that all feels like a tough spot for him, a tough learning curve and a, a tough place to, I think, kind of make up your mind one way or the other on, on what you think of him as a manager. Um, and I think you're not going into a year where you have World Series or bust kind of mentality. So I think you can use the year to learn more about him, let him continue to learn on the job. He's going to have a new coaching staff and learn more about him as a manager and and continue to evaluate him. And again, I think really that kind of lines up with everything else. Like you might as well have the stability there, learn about David Ross, see how you feel about that as you head toward whenever, as they like to say in the front office, whenever that next great Cubs team has arrived, right? Then I think you're getting more to the point where you need to either feel really strongly about him or you need to find somebody that you do feel really strongly about. And at least for me, that that moment is not right now. Yeah, I, I, and just to finish up my thoughts here, I I like I don't know if it's a like an image he's trying to portray, but I do like how Ross is like honest about himself and he takes I like that Ross takes responsibility. I think that's where it where it comes down to. I think a big issue that fans and even some of those some of the media had with Joe was that he appeared as if he was not taking responsibility for some of his decisions. Um, and so I like that Ross is open to that. And the only reason why is because I want to mitigate controversy as much as possible with the media. I do not want Jesse Rogers asking any ridiculous questions and taking stuff out of context. So for Joe, I feel as if in the last few years that happened. For Ross, I don't feel as if that's happened. So try your best to take the media attention out of that clubhouse. And if Ross is going to do that by accepting responsibility, being you know transparent, putting the blame on him, I think that's a huge advantage. I think that's good for this current team right now because they are in a huge transition. Yeah, I, I think uh, whatever they decide to do, uh, it's he, he's probably going to have another interesting year ahead of him uh, with a, a roster that you know maybe is not as strong as you would like, but you know maybe it's uh, got the potential to be competitive and stuff like that, and and that is one of those spots where you start to see what your manager can do and and the value of that because you know we we talk a little bit and and sometimes roster decisions managerial decisions and and things like that maybe are overrated but I, I do think the Cubs next year is is going the Cubs team next year excuse me is going to require Ross to really be at his best right if you're looking at the roster as constructed now that's going to be a lot of daily matchup playing Brendan. And you're going to be talking about guys in the outfield, especially who are maybe part of platoons, and you're really going to have to maximize when they're playing, when they're sitting, things like that to not only get the best results for the players individually, right? You've got so many of those guys that have strong splits either way against a particular handedness of pitcher, things like that, but for the team to succeed, right? Like if you're looking at the roster right now, absent of any other significant additions, the only way this team is competitive, right? And at the current moment, it's 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 a long shot, I think, or at least close to a long shot, but he's going to have to nail some of that stuff. And you're going to have to get guys 
hitting you know, some of those higher percentile outcomes, but Ross in particular is going to have to nail when those guys are playing, where they're playing, where they're hitting in the lineup, things like that, because those answers are not going to be obvious, right? We've seen some Cubs teams in the past where it was kind of just like plug and play, right? Couple guys switching in and out, a couple positions where maybe it's not an everyday thing, but for the most part, it was 150 plus games, you've got six, seven plus guys where it's like, yeah, this is how it is every day. There's not that much involved in this kind of kind of chessboard, right? But next year for Ross might be a pretty challenging one. A chance for him to really show his chops, I think. Yeah, I this is it, right? I but I don't think that means, you know, he has to be on a contract year. I think for Ross, because this is an important year and this is his first contract, I want him to have that stability as well. I think it does serve the entire franchise uh, an advantage if your manager has some stability and not this like overwhelming sense of doom if things don't go well. Because then urgent decisions do get made and you do push your buttons. And maybe what you're doing is more so in the short-term interest for yourself naturally. So if you give him that extension, I think it mitigates some of that risk. Yeah. I think that's I think that's fair. I, I do think that's a wise decision. And you know, as we always say, like you can extend him, and if you feel differently in a year or two, you can always figure that out uh, at the at the time. But I think that's what we have for you. Um, you know, as we head towards the holidays, we'll we'll keep you guys updated with the schedule. But as of now, the plan sort of remains to talk to you guys once a week uh, and you know by the sound of it it doesn't sound like this lockup is, is lockout is getting wrapped up anytime soon but hopefully it does and then we're we're left with a flurry of activity free agents trades and and things of that nature that we can break down but for now i think that's what we have for you in things that are cubs related so thank you as always for listening to the cubs related podcast and for your support we will talk to you guys next week and as always whether they are playing at wrigley field or the league itself is locked out go cubs